This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Colorado discussing a death in the Rocky Mountains. Then we'll talk about the murder of a young mother. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Centennial State. Control. It's a word that can be positive or negative. This is a true crime podcast, so I think you know which one I'm going to talk about. Picture this. A man or woman who knows all the perfect things to say. They're charming, funny, and kind, at least on the surface. The longer you're together, you start to notice the small changes. At least, they seem small until they pile up. They don't like certain friends of yours. You get it, maybe Janet is a little too loud sometimes and maybe too opinionated. They don't have to like everyone, right? Then they don't really want you to hang out with any of your friends. And then it's family. You don't need anyone else in your life, just them. Plus, you don't want to make them angry. They were so nice and loving when you first met, Maybe they're just having an off day. Okay, I'll stop. We've heard enough. You get the gist. Even the smartest people can be fooled by a controlling partner. After all, they've usually spent a good chunk of their life perfecting manipulation. There are countless signs to be on the lookout for. But before I begin my case, let me tell you a few quick ones. You may be in an emotionally abusive relationship if they're controlling the time you spend with your friends or loved ones. They insult or attack your sense of self-worth. They tell you what to wear or what to eat. Remember, you are not responsible for what has happened, and there is no shame in seeking help for looking for an escape. Today, I'm going to tell you about Tony and Harold Hinthorn. They met online in 1999, and just nine months later, they got married. Tony was an eye surgeon who was 37, and was known for her caring nature, and Harold was a wealthy fundraiser for hospitals and churches, and he seemed very accomplished. This was the second marriage for both of them. Tony was divorced, and Harold lost his first wife in a car accident. Neither of them had children from the first marriage. Tony was a Southern Belle in Jackson, Mississippi, but Harold convinced her to move with him to Denver, Colorado. He told her he just couldn't really see himself living in Mississippi, and he said that he had business contacts in Colorado. After moving, Tony joined an ophthalmology practice. Harold worked from home in the basement and would sometimes travel for work. After trying for a while, Tony got pregnant, and they had a daughter named Haley in 2005. So to friends and family, they looked like a picture-perfect family. Each Christmas, they would send out family newsletters filling loved ones in on all of their adventures throughout the year. Oh, I hate those. I'm sure you've seen those. I'm like, nobody cares, Beth. I almost sent one about Charlie this year. (laughs) I would have been doing that one. (laughs) So in 2006, Tony's brother, who was a cardiologist, was demonstrating his new CT scan machine on his brother-in-law, Harold. During this, he discovered Harold's arteries were severely clogged. Holy shit. Yeah, just practicing this out. That's some shit that would happen to me. Come <sighs> here, let me let me just try this real quick on you. And they'd be like, oh my god, look. 
Well, Harold's were so bad that it was considered the beginnings of a heart attack. Oh, my God. Yeah. So he was rushed into surgery almost immediately. He was just testing out this equipment on his well, brother. Well, thank God that he... Right? <sighs> Isn't that insane? Well, in 2011, another close call came when Tony was injured in an accident at their mountain cabin. A heavy wooden beam fell on her while she was cleaning up. It hit her on the back of the neck and fractured a vertebrae. Because of this, she lost some feeling in her hands, and for a while, she was afraid she wasn't going to be able to operate again. You know, she's an eye surgeon. That, oh my gosh. Yeah, that's, you need your hands for that. Yeah, <sighs> scary stuff. So it fell with such a force, the doctor said if it hit her on her head, it could have killed her. Could have been a fatal blow. On September 29th in 2012, they were celebrating their 12th wedding anniversary, and Harold decided to surprise Tony with a hike in the Rocky Mountains. Mm-mm. No. Yeah. The night before, they stayed at the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Ooh. Yeah. So they went to Deer Mountain to hike the next day, which is pretty close to Estes Park. Not that far at all. So Tony and Harold hiked about two miles up, and then Harold decided to go off the trail a bit into some rough terrain. Tony had bad knees. Hiking was not something she was accustomed to. Mm -hmm. Tony lost her balance on a cliff and fell. Shut up. She fell approximately 140 feet. Oh my. Okay. I don't go to the edge of cliff. First of all, let me just start this out. <laughs> I'm not hiking up mountains where I can fall to my death. I'm scared of heights. Well, I'm afraid of heights, too, and I do hike, but... I mean, like, I've hiked Pinnacle Mountain, and up in Northwest, I've hiked some mountains, quote, unquote, mountains up there, but I'm, like, not to where, like, on the... You know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm not close to the edge, period. And even where I'm standing, mm -hmm. like, my knees are knocking, my hands are sweating. She <sighs> died of injuries she sustained from the fall, and she was found on, on the north side of Deer Mountain in the park. So, Tony's brother, Barry, learned about this through a series of texts Harold sent him. They said, Barry, urgent. Tony is injured. Critical. Requested flight for life. Then he texted back saying she's gone. So, Barry, he's, you know, Tony's brother, he's a cardiologist. Uh -huh. He had to break the news to their parents. So, her family was devastated, but they were also kind of confused. Things were not adding up. She, so you're saying you wouldn't want to go on this hike. Well, Tony had bad knees. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking she had undergone three knee surgeries in the past. Oh, shit. Not just yeah. bad knees, but two miles is a long way. Up. Yeah. It was very steep. So something that was even more alarming to them was Harold was giving them different stories as to how she fell and what happened oh, before she fell. Brother. At first, he said Tony was lagging behind and he couldn't find her. He started looking over the cliff and edges, and then that's when he saw her at the bottom. He just assumed she fucking fell. And didn't hear anything, and then he looked over and saw her. Yep. And then he said they were hiking together. He got a text. He looked down for just a second, and she was gone. Later, he says Tony was taking a photo of Harold and that she had her back to the cliff while she was setting up the shot, she took steps backward and fell off the cliff. This was in less than 48 hours. He gave all these stories. Mm -mm. In the same 48 hours, he had made a video for the funeral. 
He had every song picked out. He had already called and scheduled everyone that was going to be singing. Oh, this shit was planned. So it's true. People do grieve differently, and I get that. But it sounds suspect. It does not stop her loved ones from thinking it was strange, and I don't blame them. That's just, it was so, like the funeral is prepped already within 48 hours. Uh-uh. But like you said, maybe some people are- It's unusual. Grieve with, I've got to be active. I've got to be busy. I can't sit that's, still. That's true. So that could, I mean, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. If Sam, if you fell off a cliff and Sam was doing this shit, I'd be like, I'm calling the police. If he had a video ready in 48 no. hours, no. He and would take him like, out. Mm-hmm. he would need help. It would take him a year. People need to help him figure that mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. But without talking to the family, he had her cremated almost immediately. And they were upset by it. So they didn't want her cremated. They wanted her body to be buried in Mississippi, where the family was. He kept telling them, almost in a gaslighting way, remember, Tony wanted to be cremated. She always said that. Remember? And they're like, no, we don't actually, we never remember her ever saying that. He was trying to make people think (sighs) that's what she wanted. Her family got the sinking feeling that he was trying to hide evidence. I mean, right away. They're just disguised. It's too much. Yes, exactly. They were like, he pushed her. There were too many red flags for them to ignore. So even if someone falls off a cliff, there's an investigation, Mm -hmm. especially on federal land, which is Mm -hmm. what the Rocky Mountains are in. So while law enforcement was searching the area, they decided to also search Harold and Tony's Jeep. Inside the Jeep, they found a map with a hand-drawn X on the very spot where Tony fell. Oh, my God. And I'll post this map on our socials, but he had the hike planned. So he has the map. He had drawn where the hike was going to be, he had a random X on the outside. It wasn't on the trail. It was exactly where she ended up falling. This was in the Jeep the whole time. He didn't take it with him on the hike. So I have a quick question, not Mm -hmm. to interrupt. So if he pushed her, hypothetically, say he did shove Mm -hmm. her off, the way she fell, would they not be able to tell by where and how she fell if it was like a, a slip and fall or if it was like a shove do you know what i'm saying yeah so it was i saw a picture of where she fell Mm -hmm. and it was about 140 feet so regardless of if i think if she was pushed or she slipped and fell have shown i don't know for a fact not to be graphic that like she hit on the way yeah so it's one of those things where you couldn't tell but you know what i'm saying like sometimes like you you fall away from Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah versus straight down No, I get what you're saying. That's horrifying. So, yeah, they found this map. It has an X, not where they were hiking, but where her body was found, which they're like, okay, that's that's strange. strange, But even more so, she had a $4.7 million life insurance policy that he stood to benefit from. Oh, shit. That's a lot of money. Oh, yeah. And that was just the tip of the iceberg with this guy. Okay. So let's go back to when they first got married and moved to Colorado. He started to begin refusing to go back to Mississippi with Tony to visit her parents. Later, he suggested, how about the parents come visit you instead? You don't visit them. Her parents were elderly and they had both suffered minor strokes. Yeah, they need to be flying. Exactly. But if they wanted to see her, they had to do that pretty much. And she used to be a confident person. And as she was with him, they started knowing 
they started noticing a change in her and he began more, he was becoming more and more controlling. So Tony and her mom, Yvonne, had always been really close. They were friends until she moved. She couldn't even speak to Tony without Harold being around. Harold never explicitly told Yvonne that she couldn't talk to Tony by herself, but each time she or Bob, Tony's dad, called her, he was the one to answer her phone. Then he would put them on speakerphone so they could be talking to both of them together. Oh my God, what a weirdo. And he did the majority of the talking. It was as if they were calling to talk to him. It was so strange. I know. I hate this guy. Can you imagine just calling to talk to Max and... He puts you on, and his wife answers, I'm obviously in the late future. Someone answers, puts him on speakerphone, and they don't even let him talk much. You'd be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not the one to ask that. I'd be like, what? Mm, Isn't that, but, no. they, but they yeah. were noticing, they were like, that's, that's weird. Yeah, that's Why strange. can't I talk to my daughter? I don't want to be on speakerphone with you. Never has my mom called me and wanted to talk, not, no offense to Sam. Right, but you're her kid. So then after Harold and Tony had their daughter Haley in 2005, he started being controlling over her. He planned his daughter's every move. He organized and scheduled every play date. He decided what she would eat, when she would eat, and he would make it clear to everyone he was in charge, not Tony. And this is about to make you so mad. Ashley's already shaking my, her head. My whole body's You're about right to now. get mad. Harold refused to ever let Tony help him put Haley to bed at night. He always said it was their daddy-daughter time, and he would be the one to spend that time with her. So she, Tony was never allowed to put her daughter to sleep. Uh, n- ever. Uh-uh. It was them by themselves. Not even his parents, not his co-parents. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Max's dad and I are not together. But we co-parent very well. and there You do have, a good job at that. There have been many, many times. Mm-hmm. We live probably four blocks from each other. But there are many times, you know, that Max is at Daddy's house. Mm-hmm. And he'll call me and I will come over at night. And even though we're not together, and I, yeah. I will tuck Max in or read him a story or kiss him. And the same thing. He will come over to my house and put Max to bed or mm-hmm. lay with him until he falls asleep. Like... I can't imagine being married in, in the, the same, same house, house and my husband telling me, no, I'm going to do this. You're not allowed to be in the You're room not even. Allowed. Oh my God. I knew it would make no, you mad. I knew it would. It makes me not. mad, so I can't even imagine. Just like, no, not every. Because you know, I mean, well, he's just you a control. Like, as a mother, there are nights and there are times that your kid wants their mom. So you know that she asked for her mother. It was very, yeah, he was very controlling. I mean, and this is even worse, maybe. I I don't even know. So Tony's parents found out later that as Haley got older, he insisted on keeping a camera in her room. Oh, no. So he could see her at all times. Oh, no, no, no. That's almost borderline on pedophilia. I don't want to use that word, but I'm like, she's a young woman, a young lady. <sighs> that's not even okay. a little girl. You don't. That's her. No. What does he want? Like, why if, are you? What are you trying to say? She, oh, that makes me mad. It's disgusting. That's gross. Yeah. No. And once they found that out, they're like, "This is uh-uh. that's an that's a red flag for anyone." I get it. If it, even a toddler, I get it. I mean, but, we had cameras when Max sure, was a baby. Everyone does, and that's normal. But when you're seven, eight, not like, what are you looking at? 
No. They can wake you up if they like. Yeah. Ugh. No. It just no. really creeps me out. So Tony's parents couldn't really talk to her about anything personal because Harold was always involved in the calls. He obviously did that on purpose. So as time grew on, Tony's parents started questioning what Harold's job really was. They're like, you know, things aren't adding up. He claimed before they got married that he was so wealthy that Tony would never have to work again. But after they got married, he seemed to be living off of Tony's money. He had been saying he was a big-time fundraiser who had a large staff. He made millions of dollars a year. But he, of course, had control over their finances and accounts. Tony's parents gifted them half a million dollars. Oh, shit. For a down payment on their house in Colorado. And her parents were well off. I mean, obviously. But during the marriage, they purchased new cars and new appliances for them. But it's like, if he made millions of dollars a year... Wouldn't you think he would say, oh, no, please. Yeah. But no, he was he was gladly taking all of that. Or almost be offended that they would exactly. offer. Exactly. But no. Mm-mm. So Yvonne attempted to talk to Tony about Harold's job and how it seemed off. She also tried to talk about his controlling behavior. But the response Tony gave her was this, quote, if you do that, I'll suffer the consequences. <sighs> A few years later, after Tony's accident in the cabin, you know, when the beam fell on her head or her neck, they also felt like something wasn't right. Mm -hmm. First of all, she was hospitalized and everything. Harold didn't call anyone to tell them about it. And after her parents found out, he kept saying, oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. No, it was a big deal. She might not have ever worked again. Exactly. So once Tony visited her parents in Mississippi and Yvonne... Flat out told her she didn't think that was an accident. She said she thought somehow Harold orchestrated that. And while she was getting things off her chest, she also told Tony that she had a hunch Harold was living off of his first wife's insurance money. And she also thought he was having an affair because why was he traveling so much? First wife's insurance money. Remember, his first wife died in a car accident. So she's like, his job doesn't make sense. He has money from something. It's probably that. Tony sat and just listened in silence. She ended the conversation. Her mom ended the conversation with, you do with this what you want, but I'd be very careful. I would not go anywhere alone with this man. She, Tony said nothing. She didn't even reply. A couple of days later, she went back home to Colorado. Could you imagine <sighs> living uh-uh. in fear like that? No. That your husband may hurt, kill you or your child. Like, and it's even worse because I, I didn't see this anywhere, but I'm assuming since he was so controlling over um, his daughter, he probably had her while she was in Mississippi. So what's she going to do, leave him? She's not going to leave him with her daughter, you know? But it's – it's she. I'm sure she felt trapped. I don't know that, but I can just – What do imagine. you do? You're yeah. in between a rock and a hard place. I mean, it's like – You we, can't just walk out. He's controlling no, yeah, everything, everything about your life. You feel like – can't do anything. You're suffocated. I mean, and it's like I said before, when you have a child, that it child changes everything. Is, is your Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. Like that is exactly. the end all be all. You want to, that's, yeah. So she went to Mississippi, visited her parents, went back to Colorado. And it was only a few months later when Tony's parents found out that their daughter had passed away. Wait, what? Remember, she was... 
saying, you know, don't be alone with this man, yada, yada. Her daughter went back home. And it was a few months later she was killed. Oh, okay. Died. I thought you meant yeah, that no, no. it was months before they found out. No, 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 no. So you can see her family had a lot of reasons to be suspicious about Harold. And as they started digging into Harold's past, they found out some more troubling information. So Harold had only ever told them that his first wife, Lynn, was killed in a car accident. Of course, they never pressed him on that or asked him for any details if he wasn't going to, you know, talk about it. They just kind of assumed, oh, it was a wreck or something. So Lynn was killed in 1995 when she was crushed by a car that allegedly came off the jack while Harold was changing a tire. Her death was originally ruled as an accident. Tony's family, of course, thought Harold killed Tony from the get-go, but this information about Lynn only solidified their opinion. There were even whispers amongst Tony's friends and colleagues that they thought he was responsible as well. The police received 16 tips from different people requesting they look further into Tony's death, and they thought Harold was responsible. I mean, that's just overwhelming. Was she under the car with him? His first wife? Yeah, so... One of these tips for Tony mentioned that his first wife, Lynn, died in a freak accident. So the investigators were like, okay, well, you know, two accidental deaths. Let's look into this first one. Both wives had a lot of insurance money. In fact, Tony had three policies in her name and each called for a payoff of approximately $1.5 million. For one of the policies, Harold was the sole beneficiary. So from his first wife, Lynn's death, he received $645,000. Right before her death, he changed the policy so that he would receive double if she happened to die from an accident. So according to Harold, the night Lynn died, they had gone out for dinner and a drive to a remote area. And while driving, he thought that the car was getting a flat tire. So he pulled over on the side of the road to change it. It was dark out, and he said that Lynn was outside helping him by holding the tire's lug nuts as he took them out. Mm -hmm. Then he dropped one, and it rolled under the vehicle, so Lynn crawled under the vehicle to retrieve it. As it so happened, at the very same time, he threw the flat tire in the back, which knocked the Jeep off its jack and onto Lynn, and she was crushed under the wheel bearing. This story is making my whole neck red. So again, this story changed a lot too. Throughout the years, he changed this up and details would change. At first, he said she died immediately. Later, he said she was crying for help. One time, he told someone that she died in a head-on car crash, which was just a flat-out lie. At the time, the police believed it was an accident. They, you know, arrived on the scene. They thought it was a grieving husband. Even though he had some strange behaviors, they just kind of brushed that off. They didn't do a proper investigation. But after the detectives in Tony's case find out this information, they get to business. They even did tests with a Jeep that was similar to what Lynn and Harold drove in 1995. They deflated the tire to the pressure that Harold claimed made him concerned. And they discovered that this pressure, the tire didn't even seem flat to them. Sure, it needed more pressure, but it was drivable and probably not something he would notice while driving in the car. It wasn't on the rim. It's not like you're like, oh, I have a flat tire. We got to pull over. It was just a little low. 
They also found a jack that was similar to the one Harold used that night. And they thought it was a weird choice to use on a 4,000-pound Jeep Cherokee because it was a jack for a boat. <laughs> it wasn't meant to hold a vehicle. He should He knew that. He should have known that. Oh, yeah. Well, they asked him why he didn't use the one meant for the car that came with the Jeep, and he said it didn't work. So he had to use the boat jack. They also didn't believe that the Jeep jack was not working. That made no sense to them. A lot of the evidence was gone, but they found reports of witnesses at the scene. All of the people who drove upon the accident reported that Harold had behaved strangely. He yelled at them when they tried to pull her out from under the car. He let them perform CPR on her, and he would not take the lead. Even though, to some, he claimed he did, he, he said he gave her CPR to some people, and he never did. Other people did. And what disturbed the people the most was, it was, okay, so it was a cold spring night. Lynn was wearing a t-shirt. It was cold, and they asked Harold for his coat so that they could warm her up, assuming, you know, she was still alive and they needed to warm up, warm her up. He refused. He wouldn't take off his coat. One of the women was so annoyed by that, she used her own coat on her because Harold refused. I hate a bitch that won't let you have their coat when you're cold. That's a red flag for me as a single woman. If I say I'm cold, offer me your coat. I was about to you say. You better cover me but up. It's, you know, it's just like, why wouldn't you do that? Because he's a dick. Oh, he's the worst. Witnesses even called the next day following up asking if the husband was arrested yet. And they're like, oh, no, of course not. He's, he's, this poor man lost his wife in an accident. Yeah, it, it was bananas that he was never investigated. So after Tony's death, federal investigators started looking more and more into Harold's life, and they found out he was not some fancy fundraiser. In fact, he hadn't worked in 20 years. 20 years? Mm-hmm. He had no business in his name. They couldn't find any of his partners or even clients. At Tony's funeral, there was no one there from Harold's work. And when investigators started talking to their friends, it came to light. No one even knew what his business was called. I hate this guy. For a man that did so much prominent work in hospitals and churches, he supposedly had hundreds of clients. No friends of theirs or family members could name a single thing. They had no idea. So at this point, no one thinks it's an accident anymore. Mm -hmm. Initially, Harold told the park ranger on the scene he was unfamiliar with the area and that he had only ever been there once. I guess he didn't think they would ever check his phone records. But his phone records proved he had been there at least eight times in the past six weeks before the day he took Tony there. So he knew it. Mm -hmm. He knew the ins and outs. Oh, yeah. They reviewed his initial 911 call and found many inconsistencies. When he first called 911, he told the oper- he told the operator that his phone battery was low. He couldn't really talk to her very long. He was trying to assist with CPR, but he was still able to find time to make 22 phone calls to other people and 90 22 phone calls? Oh wait for this. 98 text messages. Mm-hmm. Who on a it? on a low low battery phone? Yeah. One text thread he sent was to a friend asking the friend to come pick him up, and he was giving him back and forth detailed instructions on how to get there. Can you imagine? Like, what? He had plenty of time for that, but he did not have enough time to talk to the 911 operator who was trying to get him to revive his wife. I can't stand this guy. He just, it was almost like he, he was so cocky, he didn't even think any of this would be searched. 
Ugh, I hate him too. He was arrested and charged with first-degree murder. The prosecution argued that he had premeditated the murder. The court heard all about his phone logs, 911 call, and the dispatcher was even a witness. She said she had given hundreds of people instructions on how to perform CPR over the phone, but that conversation stood out. She said she didn't even feel like he was ever giving CPR. He was never out of breath. He wasn't asking her what he should do next or how long, like, no, you know, just he wasn't saying things on the phone. He was just, she was doing all the talking and he wasn't showing any exertion whatsoever. So she doesn't think he was ever doing it. Well, when authorities arrived on the scene, they also noticed her lipstick was perfectly in place. Her ribs also showed no signs of chest compressions. It's not uncommon. I know you probably know this since you work at for hospitals and stuff, but it's ribs can break during CPR. Uh, a lot of times. Yeah. And I was curious. So according to CPR yeah. experts, about 30% of those who survive CPR wake up with a cracked sternum mm-hmm. or broken rib. That's not just sore ribs. That's They're broken. broken. Yeah. CPR, if you ever do it, mm-hmm. I mean, you, it's, you have to do it hard. Oh yeah. And the key words there are when they wake up because- yeah. Cracked bones, broken bones are minimal, mm-hmm. and they heal within a few weeks. Mm-hmm. That's a small price to pay if you're trying to Revive resuscitate someone. Yeah. someone. Yeah, so it's always worth continuing, even if you're sure you've cracked their sternum or ribs. You just keep on going. But anyway, the jury heard about his first wife, Lynn's alleged freak accident. And surprisingly enough, the defense didn't call any witnesses forward. They were just banking that the prosecution couldn't make their case. Yeah. That's all they, they're like, oh, they're not going to prove it. It's just, ugh. Tony and Lynn's families gave heartbreaking impact statements during Harold's sentencing. Lynn's brother, Kevin, apologized to Tony's family for failing to see through Harold's lies. We are beyond sorry for not seeing through it, he said. I think there's a special place in hell for someone like him. Barbara, guardian of Tony and Harold's daughter Haley at the time, testified that Haley feared turning out like her dad. I think she was at risk of serious emotional harm, Barbara said. Thankfully, she stated Haley changed following time away from her father. Like, he had been, like, telling her, it's okay, your mom had an accident. How old was she? So, I know she's approximately 16 years old now. It didn't really give details on, so, you know, she was younger. And she added that, so at the time of the trial, Haley no longer viewed Harold as her father. The jury deliberated for 10 and a half hours and found Harold guilty of murder in 2015. Harold is in a federal prison in Terre Haute, Indiana. He'll likely remain in federal prison for the rest of his life. He has little chance of appealing his trial or conviction after the U.S. Supreme Court declined to hear the case. After the sentencing, Barry, Tony's brother, the cardiologist, and his wife were granted full guardianship of Haley in 2015. I'm going to put this link in our show notes and everything and on social media, but the National Domestic Violence Hotline is available by phone, text, or chat 24-7 on www.thehotline.org. The number is 1-800-799-SAFE. So domestic abuse, as we know, it's not always physical. It can present it can present itself in many ways. So this website has a lot of information on how to recognize it. And if you're ever wondering if you're maybe in an emotionally abusive relationship 
Or maybe someone you know might be. Check out this website. I mean. I feel like that doesn't get talked about enough. You know, emotional abuse. They think that. Like it's a said, slippery slope. It, just because I don't have a black eye doesn't mean exactly. I'm not being abused. Not me personally, but you know what I'm saying. No, for like, real. Like in Tony's case, <clears throat> no one ever said they he, she, they saw bruises. They saw, mm-hmm. but sh- it ended in death. It's mm-hmm. emotional abuse can escalate. Oh, sure. To the point where it's not always bruises. Well, and emotional abuse can and oh, sometimes yeah. leads to suicide. I mean, it's just like it's, it, it's emotional a lot. abuse no. does not get talked about near enough. It's, it really doesn't. It's It shouldn't be – it's not less than or, you know, it's just that and physical abuse or – I feel like a lot of women, too, feel like, well, he's not hitting me. Exactly. They're like, oh, well and, – and they gaslight. They make them think mm-hmm. they're crazy or, oh, he's never hurt me. He's never right. done this. Or right. they'll even say – well, have I ever hit you? Exactly. And no, it's exactly it's equal. There's all kinds of abuse, emotional, emotional abuse, alienation from your oh, yeah. family and loved ones, financial alienation, abuse, exactly. alienation oh, yeah. from Bonnie, and like it's all it's, kinds of stuff. Doesn't mean it's okay just Mm-mm. because you don't get smacked around. Exactly. It's just a really sad case, and it happens both ways. Oh, for we're oh, not yeah. just saying that no, it you does. Know, men do this to women. Does. Women do this to men too, mm-hmm. and women that and women, men yeah, and men, exactly. All, it's everywhere. It's basically everyone's an asshole. <laughs> yeah, it's just like straight don't let people control non-binary <laughs> for real. So I didn't even realize this until I had written most of my notes, but I'm in the middle of it right now. There's a docu series on Hulu called Wild Crime. Oh, there about is? this case, yeah. Making and I'm only note. halfway done with the first season, and it's about this. And I'm like, I didn't have enough time to watch the whole thing last Wild night. Wild crime. Wild crime. So everyone watch that. There's a whole lot more in it. The interviews from family and like mm-hmm. Lynn, the first wife, had a lot of similar similarities in that her friends couldn't talk to her on the phone <sighs> by themselves. So it's, you know, a it lot of stuff like that. It's repeating itself. Exactly. There's definitely a cycle. So I also got my information from a good article in Rolling Stone, the Denver Post. And there's also a book about this case called Accidents by Caleb Hannon. And he's also on the Stocky series. I don't even know how I stumbled upon this, but I mean, to be oh, I can't to be shoved, pushed, whatever, off of a cliff. And the the weirdest thing, well, ugh, everything's weird. He took a lot of pictures documenting this, and there's a picture of her taking him where she fell. He's gripping onto a tree limb for dear life, and you can see it in his arm how hard he's holding on. So he probably said the same thing. Go stand over there and then now I'll take your picture. That's exactly – he probably – he knew it was a dangerous spot because he had been there a bunch of times. She's never been there before, has had knee surgeries, not good at hiking. He's probably – he probably had her take a picture of him to make Uh it look safe. I mean, we don't know. Right. This is speculation. We're strictly speculating. Exactly. But he probably was like, okay, now let me take your picture. No, just stand and I'll back up a little bit. And then immediately he probably just shoved her. I mean, (sighs) no one was around. I hate this guy so much. Oh, no. He's trash. In prison for life, luckily. Also, my voice sounds very hoarse right now. It sounds very seductive. Sorry, I sound like a do you want to go do cabaret later? I am. um, Yes. Sound like Bonnie Tyler. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, all right. Let's hear your story now. I'm sad. I know they're all sad. They're all sad. So mine is about 
Kelsey Barrett. Do you have you heard this one? Then you probably have. I might so, have, but I don't recognize. I watched a episode. You said it was like killer couples. of killer couples about this. Mm. So that's where I got my okay all my infros. There's also a book about it. I can't remember the name of it right now. I wrote it down, so I'll tell you about it later. And you can put it on. Okay. Anyways, so Kelsey Barrett was 27 years old when she met Patrick Frazee online. She lived in Washington State. She had her pilot's license Mm. and worked as a flight instructor. That's pretty badass. Oh, yeah. So Patrick had a ranch in Colorado and did all the little rancher things. (laughs) All the chicks that watch Yellowstone just got super hot. So he was like country strong, like an old school, real cowboy. And she was like, that's the hottest thing ever. So their romance blossomed. And within a few months of meeting, Kelsey moved to Colorado Mm -hmm. to be with him. He lived with his mother. Mm -hmm. And Kelsey actually stayed with him and his mother on their ranch the first night she was in Colorado. And his mother basically told her she was a whore <gasps> the next morning when she came down for breakfast. Mm-mm. What the fuck? No. Can you imagine? I can't even imagine. But Patrick let it slide because that's just his mom. Yeah, there's there's all kinds of red flags already. So Kelsey moved into a condo in Woodland Park. She worked at DOS Aviation as a flight instructor for Air Force pilots. I'm sorry, but I'm going to trade this mama's boy with shit on his boots for these hotties in the flight suits. Mm -hmm. But that's just me. So she lived in her house and he and his for their entire relationship. They did have plans on getting married and moving in together eventually. Mm -hmm. In 2017, they had a baby girl named Kaylee, but they still lived apart. So Kelsey's basically... A single mother, but but Patrick did see baby Kaylee, and her and his mother put aside their differences for the baby's sake. That's good, at least. Yeah. (laughs) A few of her friends actually thought he was emotionally abusive. Oh, gosh. But never physical with Kelsey. He had a temper, though. When Kaylee was born, DHS was called to the hospital because one of the nurses tried to take the baby for whatever. And he threw a fit because he was like skin to skin contact and newborns and blah, blah, blah. To the point where the police were called. Oh, my DHS intervened. And they had to investigate before they would release the baby (gasps) back to Kelsey. Holy cow. I know. Unbelievable. Unfreaking believable. Then on Kaylee's first birthday, he told one of the friends that were there that he should have just killed that nurse. He's still mad about it. Yeah, he's still mad about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh These were definitely gosh. red flags for Kelsey's mother. Yikes. That and the fact that he chose to live with his own mother uh, instead yeah. of being there with Kelsey and Kaylee to help her with the baby. Kelsey said he was trying to save money so that they could buy their own ranch. So her parents offered to help and give them the down payment for a ranch, but Patrick refused. Friends would also say that she was getting real sick and tired of waiting on him. Mm. And this whole situation that 
he wasn't letting it move forward or go anywhere. And he was basically keeping her on the line. Meanwhile, she's being a single mom and doing everything on her own. This makes my face get hot just thinking about it. On November 22nd, 2018, Thanksgiving Day, this was just a normal day. Kelsey made her normal phone calls, her friends, her mom. She's super close to her mom, by the way. Kelsey actually told her mom she needed a recipe for the cinnamon rolls that she made because she wanted to make them and take them over to Patrick's family's house for lunch. She was cheerful, looking forward to being a family for the day. Her mom was super apprehensive because she knew Patrick's mom was a bitch and yeah. didn't. But she didn't say anything. She was like, you know, good. I hope you guys can have a good day. Blah, blah, blah. So she waits on Kelsey to call her later that night and tell her how it went. But she never called. The next day, nothing. She texted and called her daughter. Nothing. Finally, a few days later, she got a text from Kelsey, but it sounded nothing like her. I mean, you know when you text somebody. Oh, yeah. If it's, you know what I mean? Like, you can tell the way that they talk or if it's, you you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I can tell sometimes from texts from people where I'm like, are you okay? Like, this is sounds, you sound down or this doesn't, you know. So, yeah, it's off. So, Patrick had actually shown up to his family dinner hours late with Kaylee, but no Kelsey. His brother asked where she was, and his mother made a snarky comment that she was never planning on coming to begin with. She's just a raggedy old bitch. But anyways, (laughs) on November 25th, Kelsey's boss received a text from her phone saying she was taking the week off, which was super odd. A week off? A week. Mm. I mean, she taught pilots, so it's not exactly a job you could just take off with no no notice. On December 1st, Kelsey's mother was so worried that she called Kelsey's brother, who lived back in Tacoma, Washington State, and he flew to Idaho, where the mom lived. He hadn't heard from his sister either, and they were panicked. So they both fly to Colorado and go to Kelsey's house. Her car and truck were both in the driveway. They went inside her house and it looked normal. It was clean, super, super clean, but normal. Like her luggage was there, her makeup bag, her toothbrush, all of those things were still there. So it's like she she left. So mom calls Patrick and told her she was worried and he tells her, That the two of them had broken up a few days before Thanksgiving. And he wasn't going to be much help because he hadn't spoke to her. She was like, I just talked to her. Thanksgiving Day. This person. Yeah. I told her Thanksgiving Day and she was coming to your family's house to have dinner. She didn't say anything about you two breaking up. So she's like, will you please just try to call her? And he's like, yeah, let me check on my cows and then I'll go. I'll call her. Bitch, you have a self. Call her. Like, he was just very nonchalant. Like, he wasn't worried. Mm -mm. So, her brother had been in the bathroom during this conversation, and he came out and told his mom, there's blood in the bathroom, and her bath mat's gone. 
Like there's nothing in the floor, like there's no rugs. And I found blood, like little specks of blood. So her mom's like, fuck it, I'm calling the police. So they take all the information down, the police do, and then they go and question Patrick. And he tells them the same thing. The two had broken up a couple days before Thanksgiving because they're just too different. And his mother not liking her made things even more strained. And he said that he did go over there to pick Kaylee up and he returned a few things of hers and a handgun. What? And he had taken the handgun originally because she was super depressed and he was worried she was going to do something to herself. So it's like he's kind of setting the Mm -hmm. scene to, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. Trying to make it seem like maybe she was suicidal. Right. He said the last time he saw her was on Thanksgiving Day when he picked Kaylee up, but he didn't go in the house. He just grabbed her from out front. He said he did try to call her a few times and text, but she stopped responding. And he was so indifferent about all this that the cops were like, you know, there's there's something going on. So on December 4th, Kelsey's mom goes to her job. Her boss tells her about the text message and how he thought it was odd. She usually would send emojis in her text, but like was her thing. And she didn't. So he was like, it doesn't seem to me like she's the one that sent those, Mm -hmm. which is odd that, I mean, this guy's her boss and he's noticing, you know what I mean? Like he's noticing that it's unusual. He said she had also RSVP to a Christmas party that was coming up and put Patrick as her plus one. So he doesn't Mm. understand, you know, it just kind of came out of left field. So police search Kelsey's house and find nothing out of the ordinary besides the blood spatters in the bathroom. There's no forced entry, no sign of a struggle, nothing missing except for the rugs in the bathroom. They did take her iPad, a notebook, and a receipt from the grocery store where she had been to that day the last time her mother had spoke to her. They searched her vehicles. A cadaver dog was brought in, a bloodhound named Lucy, who was trained to hit on the scent of human decomposition. So Lucy walks around the truck with no hit, but as she was walking to the car, she laid down at the back door. (gasps) They searched it and found a bloody sock. Wow. But nothing else. So then they take Lucy in the house. And again, she lays down in the bathroom floor. They take her all through the house and the only place. And that was her, how she showed is she would lay down. And she laid down in the bathroom where the blood specks were. Oh, gosh. They pulled Kelsey's phone records. And on November 25th, she texted Patrick and her phone pinged in Idaho. Oh, They called the sheriff's office there, and they searched and found the ping had come from a dirt road. That's insane to me that they can exactly see where it was. So police go back to Patrick's and get his cell phone. Patrick goes to the credit union the same day and asks for the CCTV tape from the ATM to prove his alibi. The lady told him, those are taped over. Every Monday, we tape over those. And he gets it infuriated makes a scene and leaves as soon as he left she called the police and they were like yeah wow Mm -hmm." so on december the 6th i know there's a lot of times or a lot of days here um so on december 6th crime scene analysis team goes over to kelsey's house and spray it all down with luminol and blood is found 
everywhere. From the ceiling to the trash can, on the doorknobs, all over. And the cops are like, "Uh, at this point, we're investigating a homicide because there's no way there would be this much blood. Like, she's not just missing at this point. We're looking for a body. At this point, the FBI gets involved. Her neighbor actually comes forward with security footage, and there's just enough to prove that Patrick was lying. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't pointing at her house, but it was kind of like it was pointing at the neighbor's front door, but her house was directly across. So you could see. You could see enough. You could see enough. So at noon, it shows Kelsey and Kaylee were leaving to go to the grocery store. At 1.20, they're seen entering the house with Patrick. And at 4.30, Patrick is seen leaving the house. Remember? He said he never went inside the house. He's a liar. Of course he's a liar. On December the 12th, the blood found in the bathroom is confirmed through DNA to be Kelsey's. And the amount of blood proves that it was fatal. Police agree with mom that it's probably Patrick and they go to his ranch with a search warrant and they search his phone records and they see an Idaho number called at 430 the same day. So when he left from the neighbor's, you know, camera, he was on the phone with somebody from an Idaho number and the area code was where Kelsey's phone had pinged. It matched. 32-year-old single mom, Crystal Lee, from Twin Falls, Idaho. She was an RN and a former rodeo queen. She loved horses and had a long secret relationship with Patrick. Uh, I was wondering this whole time, what is his motive? Mm -hmm. Okay, so he's cheating. Cell towers showed she had driven down to Colorado two days after Kelsey was last seen alive. But she drove back Mm -mm. the next day. That's 13 hours each way. She drove back the very next day. Her phone also pinged at the exact spot Kelsey's had. So she had Kelsey's phone with her. She's probably the one that sent the text messages. Never trust a rodeo queen. Never. Never trust a rodeo queen. Police bring her in for questioning and she lies through her fucking teeth. She said she knew Patrick from the rodeo scene, and they had made some sort of horsey deal, which is why she went to Colorado in the first place, but it fell through, so she went back to Idaho the next day. The next day. What? Cops also interviewed her oh. ex-husband. They actually still lived in the same house, even though they were divorced, so they could co-parent. He said that she had lied to him about where she went on November 22nd and 23rd. She had told him it was a girl's trip. And she finally came clean to him and said she had went to meet Patrick to buy a horse. She lied to him because Patrick is the reason the two of them got divorced in the first place. They had been sneaking around, seeing each other off and on since... College. Yes. So this, okay. Years and years and years. Crystal's friend was interviewed and told the police that Patrick had been Crystal's first love, but he wouldn't commit to her. So eventually she moved on and married and had kids. She never got over him though. And anytime he called, she would come running. Wow. 
Oh, and she had got pregnant once by Patrick and had an abortion because she was still married to her ex-husband at the time. Wow. So this entire time he's seen Kelsey, he's still seeing this crystal girl. So messy. He's such a piece of shit. Oh, yeah. So Crystal doesn't know about Kelsey at all. She doesn't, she doesn't know. And she doesn't find out until she tells Patrick, you know what? I'm divorcing my husband. I want to be with you. I want to make this official. I've got two kids. You're, you know, I'm right. in love with you. I've been in love with you. I'm, I'm filing for divorce. I want to be with you. And he's like, no, fuck, wait a minute. Don't do that. Don't do that. And then he tells her about Kelsey and baby Kaylee. She didn't even know he had a kid. No, nothing. Nothing. So in the summer of 2018, he brings up killing Kelsey to Crystal. This girl doesn't have anything to do with. Okay. I didn't know. He's like, would you do it for me? Would you do it for me? She said that he told her that Kelsey was abusive to Kaylee. And he was scared that she was going to kill her. Like she was physically abusive to their baby and that she was an alcoholic and she was a drug addict. All lies, of course. Yeah. He's feeding a whole, Uh oh my God. And so her friend tells her, you need to go to the cops. And Crystal never did. So in the meantime, they're investigating, you know, they're asking her ex-husband and her best friend about all this. And they're telling her all this. Crystal lawyers up, so she's not talking to the police anymore. So they end up cutting a deal with her, and she pleads guilty to tampering with evidence and agrees to testify against Patrick. So she tells him all about the affair, all about the abortion, the divorce, and finding out about Kelsey and Kaylee. I mean, I just get so mad reading this because I'm like, this man is fucking around with these two women. This one thinks that they're working towards marriage. She's doing everything for this baby by herself. And this ex-girlfriend from college who lives in another state, you know, she's leaving her husband for this man. And he's asking her to kill her. Oh, God. Mm -mm. So Patrick had told her several times what an abusive mother she was, a violent drunk, a drug addict, and she was super depressed. He said he was scared for Kaylee's life. And then Crystal tells them that she'd actually planned to kill Kelsey on three different occasions. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Once by poisoning her coffee. So Kelsey and her... Kelsey's from Washington yeah, State, so she, she like loves her? she loves Starbucks, right? Okay, so yeah. it's like her and her brother's thing, yeah. like it's a joke and whatever. So she was gonna act like she was a neighbor and stop by and be like, "Oh, hey, I saw you lived here, and I'm new to the neighborhood. I bought you a coffee. Maybe we could be girlfriends and poison that coffee and give it to her." But she backed out and just set it down on her step and left. Well, obviously she didn't drink it. She probably found it and fucking threw it away. Anyways, once with a metal pipe, she was going to take it and beat her to death. Okay. But then she backs out of it. And then once with a baseball bat, and again, she backs out of it. And the last time she backed out of it, Patrick got so pissed off at her that he didn't speak to her for weeks. Like, you had one job and you didn't do it. So don't talk to me. It's like 
did she ever ask him, why aren't you going to the cops if she's such an abusive mother? Why right. are you doing... Why um, would you take not her... Not that it's her... No, 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 no I know. Like, oh. So then he calls her on November 22nd and tells her, you have a mess to clean up in Colorado. Are you freaking kidding me? No, I am not. She said... I knew at that point that he had killed her. Oh, my gosh. So, Crystal switches cars with her best friend and loads it up with cleaning supplies. Hell no. Drives to Kelsey's condo, and it is covered in blood. It takes her four hours to clean it up. She finds a fucking tooth on the floor with the root still attached. Could you imagine... Um, it's unbelievable. Who would even want to be with someone that Ex- just brutally that just murdered, murdered someone? So she says that she was scared if she didn't help him, that he would kill her and her kids. Which I feel like that's what a lot of people say. But anyways, she told them that she did leave some of the blood so the police would find it. Oh, thanks. And afterwards, she drove out to the ranch and Patrick told her, She's cleaned this whole place up. And she didn't even know what had happened beforehand? No, no. He told her Uh -uh. that he had went to the house and told Kelsey he wanted to play a little romantic game where he blindfolded her and she smelled candles and tried to identify the scent. Like, I love candles. We were just talking about this. Like, I got 100 candles for Christmas. So, and she did too. She loved candles. So, he's like, let me blindfold you and I got you all these new candles and you smell them and see if you can guess the scent. She thought it was kind of sweet. And, I mean, look, she wanted this family to fucking work. Yeah. You know, like, she wanted her. No. She was like, okay, we're, I'm going to play this quick game with you. And then we're going to go to your mom's for Thanksgiving. Like, it's just heartbreaking. Anyways. So, she puts the baby and her bouncer in the next room. And Patrick blindfolds her. And she goes to smell the first candle. And he hits her in the head with a fucking baseball bat over and over again she's trying to crawl away and he's following her beating her with this baseball bat just break up yes what in the world he told crystal it wasn't quick and it wasn't easy and her last words were patrick please stop i that's horrible it's with the horrifying. baby in the next the room. next room. This is the mother no. of your one-year-old baby, and you just savagely beat her with a baseball bat. Mm-mm. He's. Mm-mm. He then put her bloody body in a tote and took it out to a hay barn on his property, and then went to Thanksgiving with his family. Oh, my gosh. At some point, he and Crystal take the tote and all the bloody stuff she had taken from Kelsey's house, a total of six trash bags, and they set it all on fire, Mm -mm. burning everything up. Crystal said that his mother was on the porch watching them do it. I believe that from what you've said. I mean, there's no evidence that was found because they tried that mom was involved, but she Mm -hmm. watched them destroy evidence, so... So Patrick sent the phone back to Idaho with Crystal with the instructions to destroy it. Oh, my gosh. She takes the police out to the burn pile, and they sift through it and find a piece of Kelsey's tooth. And that's all that was found. And there wasn't even enough DNA, because the tooth was so small, to identify 
Kelsey. Really? Wow. Yeah, it was a teeny tiny piece. So Patrick was arrested on December 21st, and his trial began the next November of 2019. Wow. Yeah. At Patrick, this is really yeah, recent. Yeah. At Patrick's trial, the prosecutor said that he controlled everything with her daughter. Everything. Kind of like your story. How do we have cases know, that go bizarre. hand in yeah. hand? Oh, yeah. my gosh. Everything with the daughter. And he was scared mm. that if Kelsey and he split up, that she would take Haley back to Washington. So he had to kill her. Child custody was the motivation, basically. <sighs> Just a control freak. Yeah. He couldn't bear to yep. not be in, in control. control. So Kelsey's test. Mm. So Crystal's testimony helped convict him. His friend also testified that Patrick had told him he was going to kill Kaylee's mom. But he was like, man, don't hold shit like that. Like, you're just mad. He yeah. didn't believe him. And after her death, he said that um, Patrick had come over to his house and was complaining about how much media coverage that she was getting because she was missing. That it was insane. So they used old phone records and evidence that they had gathered and the tooth that they had found mm-hmm. in the trial. That's she, awful. Yeah. The defense said Crystal was a liar, that she killed Kelsey and tried to blame Patrick. They brought up the three times that she admitted to trying to kill or attempting to kill Kelsey saying that had she been charged with all of those, as well as tampering with evidence, that she would get almost 100 years. So she copped out and got the deal, and that's why she was blaming Patrick. The prosecution had a witness come forward, though. An inmate who had notes written on napkins and toilet paper. (laughs) Why now? Where Patrick had tried to get him and some other members of his little quote-unquote gang to kill Crystal and the other witnesses for the prosecution, like the DA, Kelsey's mom, Crystal's friend, and even his friend who testified. What in the world? This is nuts. He said all these people need to disappear, and if he was going to do it, then they needed to let Patrick's Mm -hmm. mom know with the code, all the horses are taken care of. Yeah. Mm-mm. There were 17 notes written to this guy in 10 days that were all about who he needed to kill, who he needed to make disappear, blah, blah, blah. I usually don't trust jailhouse snitches, but I mean, he doesn't know the names of all these people. Mm-mm. So if he had written down all these yeah. names, he I mean, how would he know? How would he know? Yeah. So hard to write that down. Yeah. I mean, so both the prosecutor and the defense rest at this point. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to say. Nobody. Patrick had no witnesses. They tried right. to get somebody to come forward and say that Kelsey was a shitty mom, and there was nobody. Everybody was like, no. That's she was an amazing mother. She was not a drug addict. She did never hurt Kaylee. Like, this is asinine to even suggest it. And what would that have even proved? You know what it's, I mean? Like, he right, would, if, right. If, even if she, not saying she did, but like, right. if you. She still murdered. You still murdered her, yeah. Mm. So prosecution closes with how when Kelsey was planning for their future as a family, Patrick was planning on her brutal murder. Jury found Patrick guilty of all charges, including first-degree murder, three counts of attempted murder, one count of crimes of violence, and tampering with the deceased body. 
After deliberating for only three and a half hours, he was sentenced to life without parole plus 156 years. Crystal was sentenced to three years for tampering with evidence. The DA made it very clear that he wanted to give Crystal much more time, but unfortunately, yeah. he had to make a deal in order to lock Patrick down. They probably were able to prove that he did it without her. There was very yeah. little evidence There's a against lot of, him. Yeah, when it comes down to stuff yeah. like that, deals make a big they do. difference. And they would have been able to get him, possibly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So during COVID, her attorney appealed to the courts to get her paroled earlier. Oh, come on. So she could help on the front lines during the pandemic because she was a nurse. It didn't work. Help in prison. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. But she was released in March of 2021 mm-hmm. and is out with her children now living her normal life. Okay. And little Kaylee was adopted by Kelsey's mother. And is being raised by them and their family in a loving home. And hopefully, they tell her lots of stories about her mama. That makes me so sad. So awful. I hope she and Haley from my story or or my case are doing well. Doing well. I mean, they both lost their moms. I mean, you have to mourn that forever. In ways by your father. But I I just hope for them, their... I can't even begin to, I know, it's terrible. That is, mm, wow. So, we kicked off this season with a doozy. Yeah. Mm, Sorry. Again, that's on Killer Couples. And there's a book, I'll find it, it, and I'll text it to you, and you can upload it to the socials. But That show gets me angry sometimes. Uh, Yeah. That and Deadly Women. Oh, I, I do love Deadly Women. It's a love-hate relationship because it's just, ooh, makes me. I will tell you, though, sometimes I watch those Deadly Women episodes and I'm like, good for you, ma'am. Good for you. He deserved that. Not to be the devil's advocate, but sometimes, sometimes men, sometimes men are assholes and women are assholes. And I'm not saying anybody deserves to die, but I'm just saying sometimes I do scream at the TV. Good for you. Yeah, I mean. Well, we, I mean, we can end on a lighter note. We have some cocktails to celebrate season two with. Woohoo! Thank you, Kathy and Druan, who happen to both be patrons, by the way. We love it. Yes. So Druan suggested that we try a Dirty Shirley, and you better believe I made them. And it was good. I made them less sweet than normal because Ashley doesn't like super sweet drinks, and they were pretty good. I've never... I'm not complaining at all, which is unusual for me oh, when Lacey man. makes me a drink. <laughs> I was, so I had my fancy ice cubes that had herbs in them. I'm like, oh, Ash is going to hate it's like, this. like, what the shit is this? <laughs> Why is there a flower in my cocktail? It was frozen, though. It was good. So cheers, Kathy and Duran. Thank you so much. And I also wanted to say that our patrons are a major part in making season two possible. We're an indie podcast, which means that both of us do all the work that goes into producing the show, including researching, recording, editing, designing, publishing, shipping merch, yada, yada. You get the idea. So if you choose to donate, you're helping offset our costs, develop new merch, and much more. And something that's totally free that can majorly help support us is to go to Apple or Spotify. Spotify is allowing reviews now, which is cool. Leave us a review. It really helps us in the algorithms. 
And we're really grateful to all of you all for listening. You can also email us at unitedstatesofmurder at gmail.com and follow us on Instagram at United States of Murder and on Facebook and Twitter at US of M Podcast. Where are we next week? Uh, <laughs> She's like, crap. Where are we you next week? You just asked me today. I know. Montana? Maryland. Damn it. That's next. That's the, so Maryland and then Montana. See, we did I a knew, random wheel of names. I knew it was close. Maryland. Do you have your case right No, not yet. I've got a couple of them on the chopping block. Ooh, I, I might have to ask you for one. Well, I have one, but I'm going to save it, I think, for D.C. Because it's, it's in, the, in yeah. the burbs. So it's in the burbies. Mm, I'll pick something else. But well, did you did you have a good break? Oh my gosh, yes. It felt like a really long time it since felt like we, we recorded were, last. I was excited today. I was too. I'm like, how do we do this again? How I do I plug in I my computer? E- I was excited to get back at it. Yeah. Right. I wasn't excited when I was writing all these notes. Oh, me either. I'm like, how long, is this a million years? <laughs> and this is going to be a longer episode probably. Max Yikes. was like, how many words did you type? He was like, look at the word count. I'm like, I know. That's, it's a lot. I know. It's impressive, <laughs> Max. So, yeah. yeah, we had a good break. We we hope you guys did yeah, too. Yeah, we hope you did. We had a New Year's extravaganza. It was not too extravagant. It wasn't. I do have bruises. Oh, but Lord. they're bad. They're turning purple now. Oh, God. Do you watch Trash Body? <laughs> it's from dancing. I bruise easily. Who bruises from dancing? I, me. It's me. Oh, bad, Lord. too. And one on my back that I just found today. Oh, I don't know. No. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. And how was Disney? I mean, I know how it was. But Disney tell- was amazing. You went to all the things. All the things. Disney, Universal. Felt like we were gone forever. We're gone for seven days. What was your favorite place? Like, which park? Yeah, which park was your favorite that you visited? Well, I I know this is hard to believe, but I'm a sucker for a princess. I love the Magic Kingdom. I love all the, the, the princesses and the castle. And, and I have a boy, though. I've never been there. A kid that's is that literally in with Disney? Like what? Magic Kingdom? Magic, well, there's a- like four different parks. So there's Hollywood Studios. There's Epcot. Animal Kingdom and Magic Kingdom, and that's Disney World. The four different parks. Oh, okay, so I'm a newbie. So one ticket includes all those. No, things? you have to oh buy a ticket God. for each. Mm-mm. Yeah, the trap, and or you can buy like a park hopper where you can hop from okay. park to park. I've heard that. So we went to all the parks, and there's like little places inside, like there's Neverland, or you know, like all the different Frontierland inside each individual park. So. I know. It's a lot. Well, okay. So Ashley calls me. I don't even know which day it was, but she's like, sounds like a kid in a candy store. This is so fun. We need to do a Disney trip. And then you're like, I just had margaritas in Mexico. That was at Epcot. So there's like, so at Epcot, there's like all the different countries. So it's like, you can literally like drink around the world. Like you can go into like, this is Sweden and this is you know, Mexico and this is Paris and, and they have like their signature drinks or their signature foods. And the people that work in the places are from those countries. So it's really cool. It was cracking me up though. You're like, oh my gosh, there's Donald Duck. I'm going to send you a picture of Donald Duck. <laughs> she sends me a picture of Donald Duck waving. I'm such a kid. <laughs> Meanwhile, Max could give two shits about no, any character, no the, parade. He just wants the scary ride. He wanted to ride roller coasters and all the big scary stuff. Oh my gosh. He, we got on the Tower of Terror. I cannot stress this enough. <laughs> Fuck that ride. 
I almost died. I've never been to Disney, so I, I can't it, relate. It's terrifying. Don't get on it. Well, I would just once just to say I did it. And then I feel I'm like going to have to. Well, though. I know I'm standing at the exit. I'll be free, when freaking you out. Crawl off with wet pants where you've pissed yourself, and I'll oh, be like, "See, I told you." I'll wear a diaper. I'm be standing there with a white cloth because you can drink at Disney. I didn't know that either. There's all the places you can. Well, last time I was there was like I was like 17, so I couldn't drink, and I yeah. really wasn't worried about it because. You it was doing- spring break and I was trying to scope on dudes. <laughs> Not much has changed. Scoping <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it it was a great time That's and fun. it's really awesome when you grow up and you have children and you take them back mm-hmm. and you get to see them see all the magic and them be excited about I, know. I thought Max would be excited about the characters, but we have passed that age, and oh, now it's yeah. like. Well, he was excited about. He was excited about the else. roller coasters, yeah, sure. and There's again, also side note, Slinky Dog Dash a lot faster than it looks. Slinky Dog Dash. It's in the Toy Story part of of the uh, uh, Hollywood Studios, oh. which is super cute because it's got all the toys okay. and everything. Slinky Dog Dash. Slinky Dog Dash is a roller coaster. And you're watching it, and you're like, this looks super fun. And you see all the little kids in line, and you're like, I got this. And it takes off like it's I love a roller whole asshole is on fire. It is fast. You zoom out of I'm there. there for that. It was super fun. We loved it. It's We had a great time. I can't say enough wonderful things about it, and I cannot wait to go back. We're going to have to do a grown-up trip. We are. We are. Because you can just walk around and get drunk. <laughs> And just get on all the things. You're like, like I called you. And I was like, there's fucking Donald Duck. <laughs> I'm oh, sipping a peach bellini I got in Paris. Donald. You were so excited. He's waving at me. He's waving Donald at me. Donald Duck is waving I at me. I gotta go. That is, it was cracking. I was laughing. I'm like, you picked a great time to go because it was like 80 degrees and sunny there. It was cold and rainy here. Yes, the weather so was perfect. Christmas at Disney is magical. Oh, I, I believe it. It was a great time. Fireworks at Epcot, unbelievable. It's just, like I said, it was wonderful. Everybody take your kids. It sounds very magical. It was. Shut up. <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> if I could take Charlie, I would. I want him to see There were Donald no, Duck. I never saw any dogs. Nobody had any Charlie. dogs. He needs to go. Mm-hmm. You can put him on Tower of Terror. No way. I would never. Well, let me just tell you, there were a lot of small children in that line. And when I got off that ride, crawling because my, my heart had fallen out at some point when I fell. CPS. I was going to call the police. I was like, no, you guys don't deserve these kids. They're like crying. I'm crying. We're all scared. They're like, Mom, that grown woman. She's in tears. <sighs> I, wanted to, I wanted to put hands on everybody. I wanted to fight everybody. I was so mad. Oh, my God. Scared gosh. me. You're like, I need to be alone so with many, my thoughts. So many people are going to ride in like, you fuzzy. <laughs> ride in. Tell us what your favorite Scary. ride is. Like yes. And, all the things. and make fun of me for the Tower of Terror. No, I'm afraid of heights. I mean, to be... Honest, it says in the words Tower of Terror, they are not lying. No. I wrote all the I mean like At every least you other can say you've done all it. the roller coasters, not a big deal. That one where it just drops. I, yeah, I don't love done. a drop. I'm done. I don't like it's that. It's not either. one drop. I thought it was like a steady drop. Like you drop once and then you like and then you drop a little bit further. No, you drop like a fucking rock and then it sucks you right back up and then you drop again and you can't even catch your breath and you just keep dropping. I'm like, we gotta be on the ground. 
think how how many f bombs have we gotten? Episode so one, season two, seven. Sorry, Six? I'm real passionate about the Tower of Terror. <laughs> <laughs> this is my Achilles deal. Forget Max. The Tower of Terror is my. We got Achilles. the funniest comment on Twitter from at Danny the Jew, and it was he posted like. I don't know who the sweary one is, it's but me. blah, blah, blah. I'm like, that's Ashley. It's me. <laughs> you know what's even funnier is when we uh, when we get off this horrible ride and I'm I'm just, I can't breathe, right? Max and Clint were like, Are you okay? I'm like, don't talk to me. They're like, you Clint's like, you didn't even scream or cuss or anything. You like, were just not speaking. I couldn't breathe, you were just like, Lacey. I almost she showed died. me some pictures of her on these rides, and it cracked me up. Yeah, I didn't buy any of the Max pictures. Max was having a fun time, and you looked like you're... All the pictures, Max's arms are up. Did like, you have your rosary gripped in your oh hand? God, I thought about it so <laughs> yeah. many times. I'm like, not I need lie. to go get that out of my car. I, I thought about it so many times. I mean, I'm good on a coaster. Like, I, I don't mind speed, spinning, all the things. It's that big drop. Mm-hmm. I get that. It's because I'm, I'm old. I'm 41. So it's like the older I get, that drop makes me feel car sick. No, I get it. And then I'm miserable. Then I'm mad. I don't want to go home. Mad. Yeah. Then I'm just done. But I fought through it. Good. Fought I'm, through I'm it. proud of you for writing it. Thanks. I feel like you have to. I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. Like, as soon as we get to the parks, we ride the biggest, scariest ride right off the bat. Like, that's our thing. Mm-hmm. That and was the first ride you rode? First ride. Right out of the gate. 8 a.m. Oh, my gosh. You didn't on the Tower of Terror. No, nothing. No food in my stomach. Nothing. We're psyched. Probably good. We're getting in line. People are screaming. Doesn't phase oh. me. Small children running around. Not a you big deal. You didn't even think about being scared. Not even think about it. Get on. Strap in. And the girl sitting beside me is like, so when the twi- when the like the little spinny circles like the twilight zone, because that's how it is. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm you're like entering that. the twilight zone. She's like, when it starts spinning, that's when you know you're about to drop. And I'm like, bitch. I really wish you wouldn't tell me that. So then that as, made it worse. So then as soon as that happens, you start panicking. I'm like sweaty palms. Palms are sweaty. Me palms sweet. are sweaty. <laughs> exactly. Oh. And Clint's like, put your arms up. Girl, I had a death grip on my seat. And we dropped. My ass came up off the seat. Then I'm worried that. about my I kid. That. I hate that. Then I'm worried about my little 40-pound 7-year-old beside tiny. me because he's tiny. I put my arm around, you know, like in front of him. I mom armed him. He's got a death grip too. We're two bitches about to have a heart attack. Dad's over there with his arms up screaming. I'm like, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. (laughs) So anyways. Oh, I cannot. But this is what I'm saying. Like every ride that at each park, we went straight to the big scary one right off the bat. Never had a problem with any of them. But this. I've taken bribes to get on the scary rides before. No, it doesn't bother me. That's why I got completely bamboozled with this one being horrifying. I always get freaked out on rides where I'm not suspecting it too. Like I'll be panicking about riding a roller coaster. I'll ride it. I'll be like, oh, that was fun. I'll ride it again. Then I'll ride some other random Mm -hmm. ride and there'll be something in it that freaks me out. That makes no sense. Well, let me tell you this. And you can take this to the bank. Never the fuck again will I get on this ride. Ever. No. There, is there any amount of money? No. no Grown-up trip, y'all mm-hmm. all get on it. Here's the thing. I don't care. Y'all can peer pressure me. Okay. It does not work I on love me. a challenge. I'm no, gonna, it's okay. never going to happen. We're going to go on a trip. If Jeff Goldblum sits beside okay. me Jeff. on the Tower of Terror, 
Aura. Jeff Goldblum, if you're listening. He's not. He's busy doing travel. Travel. What is it? Apartments.com. I knew you would know. They're not our sponsor. Don't mention them on this. He's my husband. He doesn't know. Oh, gosh. I would ride it with him. Okay. Well, we got to figure out something more attainable. I don't know him. Sorry. I don't know him. Apartments.com. I could in person. On that note. Okay, we digress. I hope you've enjoyed Disney Corner. Sorry. Sorry I went on a tangent about that horrible ride. Everyone loves that ride. They do. I'm surprised at the people that, you know, I've made comments to that are like, oh my God, that's my favorite ride. I'm like, you are sadistic. You're like, I can't trust you anymore. You're dead to me. You're dead to me. You probably write hot checks. Oh, shots fired. Oh, man. All right. Where well, we go. until next week. Next week. Bye. Maine. Where are we at? Maine? Maryland. Maryland. Goddamn it. Get it together. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>